We do have nursery. You're welcome to take them back there. <laughs> Listen, today is a day. Today is a day of celebration. It is a wonderful day, Christmas Eve, the day that we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an amazing day. And if you have been here, as many of you have over the last several weeks, as we've done our Advent series looking at Isaiah 7, 9, and 11, we saw many things about Jesus that we looked at. That God promised to bring Emmanuel, which means God with us, to be brought from a virgin, to be born of a virgin. That he was a light out of darkness and a shoot out of a dead stump. Out of a lifeless stump, God brought life. And we see these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, whom Genesis calls the head crusher in Genesis 3.15. The king, he would be born in poverty among the animals and not in a palace among princes. He would be tr the true light who would defeat darkness and who would crush Satan's head. He will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And he will rule righteously over everything. Like I said, he'll be a shoot out of the dead stump of Jesse. And he'll be a greater David. The spirit of God will rest upon him and he will judge equitably and with righteousness. He will strike down his enemies and the enemies of his people with his just judgment. This, this is the king. The greater David, the better Adam, the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, and this is why we're here this morning, to celebrate his coming. And his coming means so much more than what we know, and we'll find that out in a minute. But here is what I want you to know. If you know nothing else at the end of today, know this. God made a promise, and he kept it. And honestly, that's about all you need to know. You might need to know a little bit more, otherwise I'd be done. But just remember, God made a promise and he kept it. So the question then for us that we have to look at is whether we believe any of this is true. Is the biblical account of Jesus Christ coming as a baby, the incarnation as it is called, true? And if you say yes, then everything about you changes. Everything changes. Now we're going to get into that in a bit. But I want you today to think about that. Do you believe that Jesus came as a baby just as the Bible tells us that he came to save, his, uh, to save sinners from their sins? to save his people from their sins, that he came to bring life from death. If you believe that, if you believe that he went to the cross for you and shed his blood, that he was raised again in the resurrection and that he ascended and we await for his second coming with great anticipation, if you believe that, then everything changes. Everything. How you look at everything changes. Today's passage is a fun passage. It's full of great news and it's full of plenty of encouragement. 
it is a fantastic way to spend Christmas Eve together because this passage, sum, this passage sums up why Jesus came. His purpose is to end the curse on humanity and creation that began in what we call the fall in Genesis 3, the time when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And he said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. Jesus came to reverse that curse. So let's read Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 together. And then we'll pray and we'll get started. Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before you, Lord, and we love this passage, Lord, and we're going to discover, Lord, what it means for us. Father, we are grateful as we sit here today and we learn from your word on this Christmas Eve of 2023 what it means for you to come. What is the true meaning, the full meaning of your coming, Lord? I pray, God, that you would help our minds to be open to hear what your word has to say to us. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at this whole passage, we see there's some things that are familiar. And we look at verse 6 in itself, and it's, we can see almost a return to Eden. That there's a, like a return to the Garden of Eden. Let's read that again. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fatted calf together. And a little child, a little child shall lead them. Jesus as we saw earlier in chapter 9, is known as the Prince of Peace. That he will bring about perfect peace. This first verse shows us that, that the animal world will be changed entirely by Christ's second coming. We've been talking a lot about his first coming, but today's message is more about his second coming. Natural enemies will be come at peace with each other. No longer will predatory, predatory animals hunger and thirst after each other. Can you imagine that? Instead, they will live at peace with one another. Instead of chasing after each other and hungering after each other, looking for their next meal, they will live together fearlessly, compatibly, perfectly. The swift leopard will not run down the goat and tear him to shreds, but instead will lie down with him in green pastures. Along with the calf and the lion, even the fattened calf would be, to, would be together instead of at war. One is no longer in great fear of the other. Do you see the peace that is being displayed here in this verse that Isaiah speaks. And a child 
will lead them. Now, this is the first of three references to a child in these three verses. In this instance, the child here is a youth, maybe a teenager, maybe as young as someone of elementary school age. But this takes us back to Genesis, and we're going to look at Genesis 1, 28 through 30, as we go through this passage and compare what Isaiah is saying to what God originally created. And we're going to see that Jesus coming brings about Eden again. The new heaven and the new earth. Everything will be brought back to the way God originally designed it to be. Let's look at verse 28 in Genesis chapter 1. This is what God said. He said, this is right after he created humans, right after he created man and woman. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now this type of rule that we were created to have and will have again in the future based on what Isaiah says here is not a rule based on fear and oppression. It is not harsh or violent. It is a rule based solely on love and respect. A respect based on our position that the Lord gave us over creation. The animals subdue to it. They, they, they do not fear us, but they respect our position as superior to them, and they do not fight or are jealous of it. There is a unity and a peace in its perfect and sinless state. It is something that none of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. We have always lived under the curse of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God's command that we talked about, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the Lord promises he promises one day that we will live in all eternity at peace, in a state of peace, in perfect unity and love that God originally created in the Garden of Eden. Something that you and I and everyone since Adam and Eve have never experienced in our lives. Can you imagine? There's only been two people on this whole planet that have ever experienced what God is describing here through Isaiah. But God promises that one day you and I will experience that. And that should bring us great joy. Do you see? Jesus came not just to save sinners, which is important and great, but also to put everything back together just as God originally designed it to be. Praise God. And as we look at verse 7, it even goes a little bit further. It takes us a little bit deeper in, and it says this. It says, And the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. No longer will man or meat-eating animals thirst after blood and flesh of other animals for food. The cow and the bear, they will have the same diet as will the lion. I'm not sure the lion is really excited about this, but they are going to enjoy eating straw instead of meat. And their young will not be in fear, but will lie down together in peace. Can you imagine the lion laying down with the calf 
Right there, the fattened calf. Right there, I mean, ready, right there, have everything that you want and not even desire to eat it. Instead, munching on some straw. It's just going to be an amazing thing. Once again, this is a restoration to the Garden of Eden. Again, looking at Genesis 1, 29 through 30, God said this. God said this, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Because we know that what God says is true and will happen. Again, we know that God made a promise and he kept it. So we know that all the other promises that God made that Jesus is coming again to restore this place to the Garden of Eden state that he designed it to be is also true. He said it and it was so. And this is how the Lord Almighty created the world initially. The animals would not hunt others for food. They would eat the plants the Lord provided for them. They would live in peace with one another. We are to live at peace with one another. Nations will no longer be at war with one another. There will be no more headlines of death and destruction and terrorism and hunger and poverty and abortion and any other thing that we find to be an abomination in the world. Everything will be made perfect because of this little child born in Bethlehem, Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is his purpose in coming to bring everything back to its original order. Isaiah is telling us that this light in the darkness, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, Emmanuel, God with us, will be the one who restores everything back to God's original design. Right now, creation is in a state of turmoil. We know this. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8, 19 through 22. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation because it's a little easier to understand. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. See, all of creation, everything, the trees, the rivers, the rocks, the grass, everything that deals with destruction and decay and death, are innocent bystanders to the curse that we brought upon the earth with our disobedience through Adam and Eve. And with eager hope, all of creation is waiting in great anticipation for the day that Christ restores everything back to its glorious state that it was back in the Garden of Eden. You see, Christmas is a time when we should look forward to Christ's coming 
And not just the first time, but his promised second coming. That is our great hope. That is the advent we are looking for. This is in the not yet time frame that is to come that we look forward to. It is a promise that God has made to us, and he will keep it just as he kept the first one. Is your heart filled with eager hope and expectation for Christ's second coming? Or is it something that is just out there and you think about on occasion, but you're not really sure if it's ever really going to happen because it seems like it's never going to happen? I can assure you today that just as Christ came in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago, Christ is coming again. I cannot tell you when. The Bible does not give us a timeline. Jesus didn't even know. But one thing I do know is this, that God is a promise keeper, and when he says he's coming again, he is coming again. And we can wait with eager expectation. This is an exciting thing for us. Not one person since the flood in the time of Noah has seen what the original creation looked like. Have you ever thought of that? Everything that we see on the earth, all the wonderful things that we go see, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, all the national parks, everything that we see, the beauty that we see on this earth is after the flood. There has not been a human being since Noah that has seen the earth pre-flood. We have no idea what God originally designed the world to look like. But we know that he is going to restore everything in the new heaven and the new earth to the way he originally designed it to be. Have you ever been through a violent flood in your life? Have you ever seen one or witnessed one in, or the aftermath of what it can do? Sherry and I, when we lived in Denver, we visited Estes Park on a regular basis. And I don't know if you remember, if you've lived in Colorado, the headlines of the big flood that happened in the Big Thompson River Valley up in September of 2013, where the torrents of rain that came over three days that caused the Big Thompson River to rise and run incredibly fast. In mere moments, it changed its course, tearing up its banks, destroying homes and roads, and creating a new path for itself. And after the roads were reopened and you could drive up there, we could see boulders the size of houses just moved in just moments by the power of flooding water just in that one tiny spot on the earth. Can you imagine the power of the flood that lasted for 40 days and the waters stayed on the earth according to Genesis 7.24? for 150 days. And that is what we see today. That is what we see today. But the Lord promised through Isaiah right here that he will return everything to its rightful place. And let's look at verse 8 now. Let's move to verse 8 in this passage. And it says this. It says, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Another description of the return to Eden. But in this case, in this case, not just everything returning back, but there is no more fear. 
No more fear. In this verse, Isaiah is using the second and third iterations of the child that he mentioned in, in verse 6 when he talked about the youth. The first child was an elementary school age who would lead the animals. They would respect his place above them. The animals would. And they would lead him. And they wouldn't be jealous and there would be no fear. They would just lead or they would be led by the child. But now, now Isaiah is describing a nursing infant and a toddler who have no fear over the most dangerous snakes on earth. Snakes that today who have no respect over adults or over children. They would just as soon kill a baby as an adult. That is their natural state right now. But Jesus, the Messiah, in his restoration of creation, there is no more fear of the cobra or the adder, which is a viper, a viper. There is no fear. There is no aggression on snakes. There is no, you know, when we tell our kids now and you go out for a hike up in the mountains, there used to be a path that we used to go to all the time over in Lone Tree, which is right in the middle of Denver, right in the suburbs of Denver. And you'd go there and it would say, watch out for rattlesnakes. Because the rattlesnakes would be out and you would step on one or get close to one and you hear the rattle and it would bite you. Can you imagine a world where the rattlesnake comes up and just kind of wraps himself around you in love? Not interested in biting your leg at all? Where you could bend down and pet him and pick him off? I know for you that are creeped out by snakes, you're like, no way, there's no possible way. I am telling you, there is a way. God is going to make that way. You know, we have fear of tarantulas and scorpions down here. And I know it's okay to pick the tarantulas up in your hands, but I can't do it. I have no interest in putting my hand down there and let this creepy, large, hairy spider crawl into my hand. No. But in heaven, in the new heaven, in the new earth, yes. Yes. I can hold the giant spider. You know that in Australia they have more of the most poisonous snakes and bugs that there is on earth? And you could go there in the new heaven and the new earth and not worry about getting bit by anything. There is love, there is joy, there is peace. And why is that? Because of this little child Jesus who holds all things together, who is not only a child, but he is also fully God. And because he is fully God, even as he is lying in the manger, he is ruling the universe. Have you ever thought of that? When you look at the little manger sets that we have at home, the little baby represented here in white porcelain, I think, which is a really bad depiction of who Jesus really is, by the way. But it gives you the idea. But this little child of Bethlehem, and we sing the song, What Child Is This? This is the child who is the powerful ruler of the universe where nothing that was, has been made was made without him. He was there at the beginning, and he's going to be there again in eternity. 
This is our Lord, our King, our God, our Savior, Jesus, the Christ, who makes this all possible. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we have to look forward to. This is why Christ came, to restore everything back to how God originally designed it to be. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. And he shows that by being a shield to those of us who take refuge in him. No more, peer, uh, no more pain, no more fear. No more fear. No more fear. Can you imagine? The Bible tells us, it's been stated, you know, you may have heard this, that there's at least 365 times where it says, no more fear or do not be afraid. Now, I haven't counted every one of them, but I'll take the words of those who seemingly have. But this much I do know, he says it a lot. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Why? Because the mighty God of heaven and earth has us. And he loves us. And he wants us. And he wants us to live with him. He is a communal God. He loves being with his people. We see that in the Old Testament as well as the New. And then we look at verse 9. Verse 9 pulls all of this together. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the curse. This is the end of the curse. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does that really mean? Theologian Jeffrey Grogan says this. He says, the restoration of human beings to God that is implied in the knowledge of God reverses the alienation introduced by the fall, making possible the restoration of their environment to its unfallen condition. The knowledge of God. The full knowledge of God. You might have heard it said that when we get to heaven, all of our questions and everything that we want to know about God will be answered. We'll know everything. Well, I will say this. I will say this, that from this verse, we know that it will be full of the knowledge of God. But God himself is too great and too big. A God who is eternal from beginning to end. There is no beginning and end to God. And with a God that big, that mighty, that ferocious, that wonderful, that loving, that kind, that righteous, there is no way through eternity you will ever know everything there is to know about God. And we don't want to. What fun would it be to get there and everything that you ever wanted to know was already known and you have all of eternity left? That would be pretty boring. 
But we get to be surprised by God every single day in humanity or in eternity. We get to live with him in perfect peace with our minds open, full of the knowledge of God. A couple of questions come to mind after we go through a passage like this. What does this have to do with Christmas and the coming of Jesus as a child? Well, Dennis reminded us a few weeks ago that Jesus' coming was not just a joyous event for us to rejoice, but Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And what happened, what had to happen because of that was that Jesus had to die. He came with a curse on himself. He was born with a death sentence. This little baby that we celebrate on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, and really throughout all of the year, came with a death sentence. He had to go to an implement of torture that we call the cross, and he had to face a crucifixion. He had to shed his blood. He had to take the payment for our sins upon himself, to take God's wrath on him so that we wouldn't have to. So that we wouldn't die, he would die. Being God, he was the only one worthy to die because he was the only one perfect, one who never sinned in his whole life. He came so that we might have life and have life to the full. And so he came and he shed his blood, but that wasn't all he did. We cannot leave him on the cross. He was put in the tomb and three days later, he triumphantly exited the tomb alive. Death from life, I mean life from death. The other way wouldn't be good. Life from death, life from death. Christ was raised again. And 40 days later, he ascended to his proper place at the right hand of the Father, sitting in majesty in heaven with a promise, a promise that he would return. Now, we know that, that for us to be able to experience this great news, the next question is, is what do we do in order to be able to gain entrance into this place that Isaiah talks about? This place of perfect peace, of joy, of love. What you need to do is make sure that you are right with God that you need to consider these things that we talk about and whether or not they are true. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ came as a baby, born of a virgin? Is that something you hold true in your heart or do you just think that's just a Bible story? If it's true, then it changes everything. Because if Jesus could come and be born of a virgin, then he could live a sinless life, and he could die on the cross. He could take all of our sins. He could shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness, and he could rise again from the dead. He could ascend into heaven, and he can come again. And if you say that those things are true, if you believe that to be true, and you are willing to put your salvation into the hands of Jesus, and today is the day, if you haven't done that, to give your life over to him. He came to reverse 
your life, which is headed towards death and destruction, and to change it and to give you life. Where you could live in a place where you could live with the cobra, that you could hang out with the lion and there'd be no fear. You could pet the wolf. You could hold the tarantula in your hand. Whatever your greatest fear is, you don't even have to be afraid of heights anymore, which is I'm terrified of heights. But I'll be able to be on the highest mountain. I'll be able to be anywhere high up in the air and I can look down and there will be no more fear. Oh, how I look forward to that because my fear of heights have kept me from so many great things. God is wonderful. God is wonderful. If you are willing to give your life to him today, then let's do so. Jane read this beautiful passage, which is in the next chapter in Isaiah chapter 12. And one day, if you give your life to Christ, and if you have given your life to Christ, these are the verses that you get to say. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you, God, for this message. We thank you, God, for your words through Isaiah, this great encouragement, Lord, that one day, Lord, we will live in paradise with you. When we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, you kept a promise. You made a promise that you will come again and you're going to restore all things, Lord, and we look forward to that day. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who has never given their life over to you. Father, that they would do so this morning so that they would also experience new life. Father God, I thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and what you will continue to do. I pray, Father, that as we go about our day today and tomorrow and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that we would remember that he is not just a baby lion in a manger, but he is the ruler of the universe. Lord, that he holds all things in his hands. Father God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He has risen. He has risen. He has. Well, so a couple things we have left.